Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM here on a Friday, January 19th, 2024. But for some reason, Commanders, Redskins, Washington football team Twitter is stuck on 2012 to 2016. The RG3 era. Why is that? Because RG, me, Robert Griffin III, is out there making it all about him once again. He took to YouTube to do an extended chat on his podcast about Jay Gruden. Now, we talked about this earlier in the week, and Michael Phillips did an excellent job breaking it down on his show. Final, Basically, the final hour of his show, rewinding back to the Shanahan era, all the way up to Jay Gruden coming to Washington, and then eventually losing his job. And it's just so wild that Robert wants to come out here now and, and play revisionist history and just play this game with their fan base here like we're stupid, right? That's what RG3 is doing. Is he's, he's playing this game here like Commanders fans are stupid and that they're just going to forget everything that happened back then. You know, it, it just, it's so frustrating. And, um, you know, what? I'm not even going to say this myself, but a listener, Matt underscore UMD on Twitter, said it best, I think, when he said, I'm Team Jane Gruden on this beef. RG3 wanted to be a pocket passer, left his pregnant wife for another woman, said he was going to release a tell-all ball book, then didn't. Now uses his new wife for clicks on social media and is an intention whore. Give me Jay. I kind of feel the same way about Robert Griffin III. You know, Michael said Robert does a good job on ESPN college football. I disagree. I think anytime you hear him, it's all about him. He's got these dumb metaphors that he's going viral for because he's saying things that you shouldn't be saying on national television. He's you know he's making you know doing sexual puns to try to be funny and stuff, and it's just so annoying because look, I lived through this era, and I was one of those guys that called RG three R Jesus. I loved this guy. We've been searching for a franchise quarterback my entire life, and in two thousand and twelve, it felt like we had our guy, and then. He became too big for his own britches. And look, the same thing happened with with Chase Young. We're dealing with the same situation 10 years later here in Washington where somebody has a great rookie year, feels like they've arrived, they're a superstar, and they can do whatever they want. And that's what it was with RG3 here. And so uh, what's so frustrating about this beef with RG3 and Jay Gruden is he should be beefing with Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan. It's just so stupid if you ask me why RG3 has an issue with Jay Gruden when when Jay got to town here, RG3, in my opinion, was already washed up. He was. You know, it just doesn't make any sense here. And Jay, perfectly on Twitter, when he responded to Robert Griffin, really want to play this game? Because after you left Washington, you went to Baltimore. They didn't want you. You went to Cleveland. They didn't need you. Now you're out of the league, Robert, so you can do this whole game of revisionist history thing and and claim that you were a franchise quarterback here in Washington and that the coach didn't know how to contain you or how to use you properly. And part of that might be true, but at the same time, if you were that good, Robert, you would still be in the league here, not racing a pigeon on national television. Uh, It's just so frustrating. Uh, Like uh, Jay Gruden said, Three teams took a shot on RG3. The Ravens, the Browns, and the Washington Commanders. And you know what? He's not on any of those rosters. And he'll claim that he's too you know, famous on social media and that he becomes a distraction. 
And that's just BS. I mean, I just think that's so BS by Robert Griffin III. Yes, he has a huge following, 2.2 million followers, uh, and he is a social media king. I'll give him that. He does a great job of, as soon as something happens in the sports world, he's got a take. He's rushing to Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok uh, to share his thoughts on it. But I do feel like all of his followers were people that fell in love with him in 2012 and just continued to follow him. Right, And I'm one of those guys. I fell in love with him in 2012. It's 2024 now, and to me, he's irrelevant. Uh, He shouldn't be talking about the commanders anymore. He should not have said he was going to release a tell-all book and then change his mind about that. We all knew it wasn't going to really come out. It was just him trying to get clicks, and I'm just... I'm frustrated by him being an intention whore. I thought he was an unbelievable quarterback for one season. Then... He became a social media star, and and that's what he's been now for the past 12 years. Uh, you can have your own opinion on RG3. I'd love for you to share it with me, 833-804-0910, 833-804-0910. Uh, I'm just not a fan of him you know, bringing up old stories from 12 years ago and trying to change things. Um, that's not the way we all remember it, and RG3, oh yeah, Jay Gruden was not your coach in 2012 or in 2013 when you were all in for week one or in 2014 when you really stunk and they gave Kirk Cousins a shot or then in 2015. You just stayed on the roster because Dan Snyder was your buddy. That That's why you stayed on the roster, Robert. It, you should have been traded after 2013 when you still had some value in the league and Washington could have gotten a few picks. Uh, Jay Gruden's not the best head coach But, man, in my opinion, he knew how to coach offense. Uh, Jay left Washington unsuccessfully here because he went through two or three different defensive coordinators. And the defense always stunk here when he was in town. But Jay Gruden and Kirk Cousins were great together. And Washington won nine or ten games a few seasons with Jay Gruden. And so, look, I just don't think RG3 can completely blame Jay for the way his career turned out, especially when the fact is that he had stops in other locations. Let's go back to the phone lines, 833-804-0910. We've got Ron in Richmond. Ron, you're on the fan. Hey, I I don't understand. Why do you guys hate this guy so much? He's a media whore just like the rest of the people out there. This is the way of the world now. And the other, well, because the he's other trying to like he's to trying to change things, right? That's what I would argue, Ron. Uh, uh, is he, he's trying to okay. change the history. Okay, but who doesn't nowadays? Come on, now we got a guy that's been in, we got a guy that's been president that does it all the time. But, you know, <laughs> okay, but 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 yes, okay, but we're gonna leave that alone. But here's the other thing: and why are you guys trying to make Jake Gruden into a great coach? He's a bum. He's been a bum. If you, and, I'll, and I'll tell you exactly. I'll give you, a, a, you know, proof that he's a. Well, bum. he did. Hold on. He did have a better. He did have a better winning record than Ron Rivera. All right. So if he's a bum, okay. what's Ron Rivera? Both of them are bums. Both yeah, of them. Okay. Because let me tell you why. Let me yeah. tell you why. If Jay Gruden was that great, how come he hasn't had an interview for a coach since he's been gone? I'm not. I, I know, don't so think. I, here, look. Here's the thing. I'm not. I'm not coach. saying Jay Gruden was a great coach. I do think he was a good offensive coordinator, and he had success with Kirk Cousins. Okay, but 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 listen, I still I think the proof is in the pudding, sir. When you're good, recognize it. Obviously, he's not good because no one's bothered to even bring him in for an interview. I agree, but wouldn't you? Wait, hold on, hold on, Ron. Would you say the same thing about RG three? Because obviously, nobody's (laughs) given him a shot to be a starting quarterback again. Well, listen, listen, listen. I'm I'm not a Robert Griffin fan. 
Okay. You know, I think he's a sicker fan. I, I never, I've never been a Robert Griffin fan. I think he's a, I think he's a glory, whatever. But anyway, I don't like it when, when, when Robert doesn't get to speak for himself and everybody's jumping on him and acting like Jay Gruden is this great coach who was a clown when he was young, when he was a coach. Because think about it now, maybe you and you in the media, you know these things about they had this thing. What is it, a nipple, something that him and the guy used to do, and. And the, yeah. and the players came out later. So, Ron, what I would argue is that RG3 brought this. I would argue him. that, look, I would argue that RG3 brought this on himself. He is the one that responded to Jay Gruden saying, hey, you're the one that failed me. You didn't have the staff to support me. On that staff was Kyle Shanahan, head coach, Mike McDaniel, head coach, Sean McVay, head coach, Matt LaFleur, head coach, Raheem Morris, D.C., Bobby Sloak, O.C. You know, RG3 is the one that blamed Jay Gruden and the staff. Look at how much success that staff has well, had. Well, no, 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 but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to defend uh, RG3. Believe me, I'm not. But I'm saying let's not make uh, Jay Gruden into something he wasn't either because obviously right. – Obviously, you know, we're not privy to everything that happened there with RG3 either. Let's, let's be realistic now. Yeah. Because I'm sure there were things that were said and done that we'll never know about. But, but as far as RG, RG3 goes, I, I don't think much of him either. Ron, let me, let me ask you a question, time. though. Let me ask you a question because sure. it sounds like what it, what's tilting you is the fact that the, the media is kind of siding with Jay in the RG3 versus Jay battle and talking about Jay as a good head coach when we should be destroying both of them because both of them were not good at their jobs here in D.C. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Here's the thing that bothered me this morning. Eric Bippel, I think his name is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he came on the radio saying he would be excited if they hired Jay Gruden as coach of Washington again. What kind of fool is he? You know, come on, man. And I don't want to talk about the man because I don't know him, but the, the only thing I can go by is what comes out of his mouth. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, I get that. I get that. I think I think when he said that, he was being tongue in cheek because he would enjoy Jay Gruden's press conferences, and you know, it, it, he's he, you know, Jay's like a walking soundbite because he always you know stumbles into saying something funny. Uh, but we don't want him here in D.C. We we want somebody who can actually grow with this team, and that's why I think Ben Johnson's the guy. He's you know thirty seven, thirty eight years old, well, could find himself here for fifteen or twenty years. I like I'd like to have the guy from from Detroit or the guy from Houston. Yeah, uh, I think the guy from Houston is brilliant too. But anyway, I really appreciate you giving me an opportunity to to um, say my piece because I, I don't like it when arguments are one sided. Because it's no worries. To do. Yep. Hey, All my right, phone lines sir. are always open, Ron. I appreciate All right. it. I right, be blessed. Yep. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Don't go anywhere. Don't touch that dial. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are open, 833-804-0910, 833-804-0910. You can be like Ron in Richmond who... Stole that segment from us with a, a really good debate and back and forth on a RG3 and Jay Gruden. So if you want to chime in, phone lines are open throughout the show, 833-804-0910. That was a good caller. Let's see if we can get another one before the end of the show today. And, of course, it is time to go around the NFL here and talk playoffs. What playoffs with NFL hits? Every regular season matchup, every head coach on the hot seat, the hit stories in the NFL. 
NFL hits on AWOD Radio. So it's AWOD on the fan here live from River City Roll. We've got Stubb back in the production room on the ones and twos. Stubb, what do you have prepared for us here on NFL Hits? We have uh, from USA Today a list of uh, the four games ranked by watchability. Okay. So it's a bit of a their certified game of the week that we're going to go through here. I like this. I haven't seen this list yet, so uh, bring it to me. Okay. First one here, uh, I agree with. Uh, you're going to be heavily against it. Uh, Tampa Bay versus Detroit, as they think it's going to basically be a blowout from Detroit. So that is the game with, that is the least watchable? Least watchable. Really? Yeah. They think Detroit's going to blow out the Bucks. Who wrote that article? Let's book them next week when the Bucks <laughs> get the win. How about that? You like look, that, Stubb? Look, as they say in the article, it, it really seems like the Eagles just made them look better than they were. And we haven't brought this up. They didn't put up a touchdown against the Panthers two weeks ago. No, that is true. But the Panthers were, were playing better football towards the final stretch of the season. A little uh, better. A, they weren't a, winning games. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they won two games. I don't know how much a little better does for them. And I They were playing agree. better defensively. I'll give them that. Yeah, All right. sure. I, I agree here. I think that the Lions are just going to be winning the whole game, and we're going to move on. So that would be – that's your snooze fest game, though? That's yeah. You're giving that the dong sign? You know what? I am going to give it the dong sign. All I right. am. All right. Number three, they have the Pack versus the Niners. I think this is fair. I would, I would understand this being a four as well. This could easily be a Niners blowout and just, yeah. You know, uh, this could easily be a Niners blowout, but there's just something about the Packers playing with house money. And, you know, if there's any franchise in the NFL that believes in their team, like a fan base, that the team can go on the road to win a game in the playoffs, it's the Packers. It's the guys in Lambeau. I mean, just it's an incredible organization. You know, we talked about it earlier this week. Uh, their GM did a great job of drafting Jordan Love before they needed a quarterback, let him develop, sit behind Aaron Rodgers, while they would then go on to draft two more young tight ends, three wide receivers, and put together a young, really special, talented offense uh, with a solid uh, you know, defensive line on the other side there uh, to get after the quarterback. I think the Packers are going to cover the 9.5-point spread, and this is actually a two-star game for me. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. So I, I, would, I would disagree with this article here. I mean, at the end of the day, it's four games. It's super divisional weekend. None yeah. of them are going to be a snooze fest. Yeah. No, right. you're right about that. Number two, they put Houston Texans at the Baltimore Ravens. There's a lot to see from C.J. Stroud here. There's a lot to see. Ravens, we haven't seen them in like three weeks. They're playing. They're back at it again. This yeah. one should be entertaining. Now, here's the thing is that the Ravens expect Baltimore tight end Mark Andrews to be back this weekend. And that's bad news for the rest of the NFL. Uh, he's just so good uh, at getting open, set to make his return to the lineup this weekend. Um, he said when he was asked about his return, he said, it's how I feel at the end of the day, knowing how good this team is, how good our players are, how good our tight ends are. I feel like if I'm going to be helpful to this team, I'm going to go. If I feel like I'm, go I'm close but not there, I'm going to let these guys go and helpfully uh, get there next weekend. So the fact that he wants to play this weekend, I think, is pretty encouraging. Tells me that not only is he going to be like you know seventy or eighty percent, he's going to be closer to a hundred percent. That's a huge boost for the Ravens. This is actually my 
least uh, likely to watch this game. Like, really? the opposite of my certified game of the week. Yeah, I've got the Ravens winning easily. I think C.J. Stroud uh, comes back down to earth here. Baltimore's a tough place to play for any quarterback uh, with that defense. They get after them. Uh, they've got playmakers at corner to come up and, and stop and get some big interceptions. Uh, so I think C.J. Stroud has a few turnovers, and the Ravens win easily at home. And we were talking about this last week. The tight ends have kind of been the difference here in these eight teams. They all have yeah. a star tight end, and getting one back for the Ravens is, is not something that can be helpful for the Texans. I know Michael has an upset here, but I think just in every way, the Ravens are a better team, and it's hard to upset that. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. So that means that the most watchable game is the 630 uh, CBS game on Sunday night with the Chiefs at the Bills. I see this game going two ways. You tell me what you think, Stubb. I say number one, Chiefs win with a field goal at the buzzer. Patrick Mahomes does it again, drives down the field, game-winning drive. Chiefs advance to the AFC title game. Or the Bills win by double digits, and the Chiefs just completely fall apart. I think it's going to be the first one. I, I hate it. <laughs> I, I, I hate the Chiefs winning every single year, but I, I think it's going to happen again. Yeah, I mean, I just, look, this could be Buffalo's year, right? I mean, Joe DiBiase, sneaky Joe, did do a good job of convincing me, hey, they figured out their offense because now they can run the ball with James Cook. Uh, they're playing well on defense, and oh yeah, the last few times they lost to the Chiefs, it was in Arrowhead, not from Orchard Park in Buffalo where they are really good. But I'll point back to last year's playoff game where they had Home field advantage and couldn't beat Cincinnati and the Bengals. So I do think the Chiefs come to Buffalo and get the win. So I will give you my official picks on record before the end of the show today. And, of course, we'll close the show with the certified game of the week, guaranteeing football fans around the country will enjoy this contest. If you want to chime in, it's 833-804-0910. 833-804-0910. We'll discuss the Packers going to California to face off against the Niners with Mike Spofford, editor for the Packers website at 1.30. That's coming up next on The Fan. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, broadcasting live from River City Roll here in Scott's Edition. Don't call River City Roll just a bowling alley. There's live music, entertainment, a really great beer deal. You can get a $10 pitcher of River City Roll beer Anytime there's a football game on, chef-inspired menu. I was actually here last night, had the, the double cheeseburger is really good. Uh, the chicken sandwich my friend got uh, is spicy and, and delicious. So some really good food here. Come on out to River City Roll this weekend. Tell them AWOD sent you. And the Green Bay Packers, I would say, are playing with house money after going to Dallas and defeating Big D, an incredible defensive performance as Dak Prescott had one of his worst games of his career against this Packers defense. And now they head to San Francisco for a tilt against the Niners. Joining us right now to preview the game on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, editor for Packers.com, it's Mike Spofford. What's going on, Mike? Not too much. How you guys doing? I'm good, man. I appreciate you joining the show uh, again. And, you know, before we get to, you know, this game uh, Saturday night, let's rewind to last week. I mean, what are a few things that you think led to the Packers dominating the Cowboys? Well, I mean, it, it you know, it started with just getting off to the fast start and marching right down the field on the opening possession, 75 yards, took about eight minutes off the clock, really felt uh, the Packers kind of pounded away with the run, even though, 
they didn't bust any big runs on that opening drive, but they just stuck with it. And uh, I think they kind of put the Cowboys on their heels there. And then, you know, you get the interception from Alexander, sets up the second touchdown, and you get the pick six later in the second quarter from Darnell Savage. And, you know, suddenly you've got a big lead, and, you know, Dallas is completely out of their game plan, and uh, and the Packers are just looking to play ball control on offense. And, you know, really the the offense had a hot day. The defense got those two big turnovers in the first half, and, uh, um, you know, the Packers were just in command start to finish. Yeah, I, I mean, you called it last week. You said, hey, if they can win the turnover battle and get off to a fast start, they've got a chance. So what would you say are the keys to victory for Green Bay to steal a road win against the Niners? Well, you'd, you'd love to be able to follow the same formula, of course, if it, and if it were that easy, everybody could do it, you know, every week. But, um, you know, you, you definitely you definitely need to get, you know, a turnover or two from, uh, from Brock Purdy, and he's been – awfully awfully good this season he had the one you know really rough game against Baltimore and you know the Packers need to try to disrupt him you know in in uh, in similar fashion there but in order to do that that starts with uh that starts with trying to put the 49ers in some tough third down situations and and that's not easy to do because you know they have McCaffrey they can give the ball to Debo Samuel you know George Kittle Brandon Ayuk they have a lot of guys that uh, you know, that they can move the chains with. And, and you know, I, I think defensively for the Packers, this game comes down to tackling. I mean, the way the 49ers scheme their offense, all these different weapons you have to pay attention to, you have to be able to tackle these guys one-on-one in the open field. If they break tackles, they'll kill you. And, and uh, But if you make the tackles, it gives it's going to give you some opportunities on third down to maybe get off the field. So, that's what I see on that side of the ball. Offensively, you just want Jordan Love and these guys to to keep doing what they're doing. I mean, this this offense has been has really been on a roll for the last four games now, um, rolling up big yards and a lot of points. And uh, you know, they just they they need to they need to stay in a rhythm. And and I think that rhythm starts with Aaron Jones. It's going to be a really interesting quarterback matchup between Brock Purdy. And Jordan Love. And, you know, I've read a lot of articles about the Packers this season and Jordan Love, and all of them seem to point to that game on Thanksgiving against Detroit as the turning point. Something clicked there. What have you noticed from Jordan Love from Thanksgiving to now? Yeah, I just I, I think there's been the, the, the growth of all the young players around him has mm-hmm. sort of coincided with his own growth as a quarterback. It's, it's this offensive unit quarterback, wide receivers, tight ends, a couple of young offensive linemen in front of them as well that have just kind of grown up together this season. And, and you know, it was hard to see the progress earlier in the year. Certainly there were a lot of rough spots, a lot of rough games. But once, uh, once this group really started to grow together as a unit, you know, it started to take off. And then with that, Jordan Love has just been showing so much command at the line of scrimmage in terms of making the checks, you know, protection adjustments and, and, you know, canning plays from maybe one call to another based on, you know, what LaFleur puts in his headset. And, and uh, you know, they've, they've been able to find a rhythm, getting the running game going, you know, setting up the play action, all of that. And, uh, and as these young guys have grown together, you know, they've really started to look pretty dangerous. Mike Spofford with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, editor for Packers.com. And, Mike, I've been here in Richmond uh, for nearly two years now, and very familiar covering UVA with wide receiver Dontavian Wicks. He's really stepped on the scene this season in Green Bay. 
Yeah, he absolutely has. He's been really, really impressive. And I think, I you know, numbers-wise, I think he would have done even more if not for dealing with some injuries and whatnot along the way. But uh, but he's he's been really impressive. He had – there was a, a couple of games in midseason. He, he dropped a slant pass near the goal line against the Vikings, and then he had a play against the Rams where he caught a pass and then actually kind of fumbled on his own as he tumbled to the ground and, and created a turnover – and since those like two really negative plays for him, he's been absolutely outstanding. It's like he, you know, he used, I think he used those mistakes as fuel. He's, uh, he's shown really sure hands. He's running, he's running really good routes and, and Jordan love trusts the heck out of him, you know, whether it's against the blitz, whether it's a, uh, you know, a simple possession route to move the chains, whatever it might be. Uh, Dontavian Wicks has become a really, really big part of this offense. Mike, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the graphic everybody loves to talk about. 2012-13 Washington Redskins with Kyle Shanahan on the roster, Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel, Matt LaFleur. How do you view Matt LaFleur as a head coach? I mean, it felt like for a time he was a rising star and then he, he didn't get enough credit. I, I feel like he deserves more credit for how this team moved on from Aaron Rodgers and just continued to have success. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that credit is going to start to come now that uh, the Packers are showing, have shown this, you know, down the stretch here with Jordan Love in his first year as a starter and with working in basically a whole new group of wide receivers and tight ends over the last two seasons. There isn't a single wide receiver or tight end on the Packers roster that they're working with right now that is, that's uh, more than a second-year player. They're all either second-year players or rookies. And, you know, what Matt LaFleur has been able to do, the progress that this offense has shown, I think that credit's going to come his way. You know, the, the narrative about, oh, you know, he, you know, he just won games because of Aaron Rodgers, et cetera, et cetera. I, you know, I, I thought that was kind of ridiculous to begin with. If you look at, you look back in 2019, LaFleur's first season with the Packers, you know, the defense was really a, a strong suit and there were some struggles on offense and Aaron Rodgers did not have a great season. And, but as he and LaFleur worked together and they collaborated on what they wanted to do offensively, then Aaron Rodgers won MVPs in 2020 and 2021. LaFleur deserves a little bit of credit for that because it's not like, you know, Aaron Rodgers was an MVP in 2019 when LaFleur f- first showed up. So um, I never really bought into that narrative to begin with, but for whatever whatever credit he didn't get back then, I think it's going to start to come his way now with what he's doing with Jordan Love. How do you think Green Bay could, can take advantage of maybe a little rust with the Niners, you know, having had uh, last week off? Yeah, that's where I think the the fast start, you know, maybe kind of comes into play here because. It, you know, I, who, who knows whether they're going to be rested or rusty, right? That's like the age-old debate. And and But if the Packers get off to a fast start and kind of knock them on their heels a little bit, then, you know, see what see what happens and see how they react. Uh, you know, if, if the 49ers are not in command of this game, which has, you know, their game has been to blow people out. I mean, they've, you know, they've won, they, I believe only one of their 12 wins this season was by only one score. So, they take command of games. They pull away from people. They put teams away. If the Packers don't allow them to take command of the game right away, see how they react, and uh, um, and maybe you can take a little bit of advantage of them not being able to find their rhythm right away. Mike, what is the Packers' history at Levi Stadium? Um, not great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, back in uh, back in 2019. Um, the Packers lost a big regular season game there, uh, then went back there 
to the NFC Championship, and it was there because of the regular season result that year, and uh, and they got blown out. Um, then uh, in 2021, uh, the Packers actually pulled out a, a last-second victory on a long field goal by by Mason Crosby. Aaron Rodgers, I think, had like 37 seconds or something like that on the clock, yeah. and, and no timeouts got the Packers into field goal range, and Crosby hit the kick, and, and Green Bay got the regular season victory there. But then that year in the postseason, San Francisco came to Lambeau Field and, and knocked the Packers out when the Packers were the one seed um, you know, with the bye, and, and the 49ers were the wild card team that had kind of gotten rolling. So um, postseason-wise, the, the script is kind of flipped this year in terms of the position of these two teams and the location of the game. So, uh, so we'll see how things go. Going to be a good matchup of two historic NFL franchises. Mike, thanks so much for the time, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Yep, that's Mike Spofford, editor for Packers.com. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD on the fan. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, broadcasting live from River City Roll here in Scott's Edition. New rule on 910 The Fan. On Fridays, we roll. And next Friday, we will have a bowling challenge between Michael Phillips and myself and Stubb. I think MP is in trouble. I am hot today. Already have uh, a, th- a strike and three spares through just six frames. Uh, and, and you know what? It's, uh, it's a little unfair here because I've actually got a, a bowling expert teaching me not to chicken wing, to follow through, make sure I hook the ball right. And so I, I'm, I'm really bowling well, 82 through just six frames already. And you've been training every week. I, I, I have feel like been Michael training probably every hasn't been bowling every week for the last two or three months. No, you're right. But, but we talked about this during Crosstalk. Michael is from... Kansas, the middle of nowhere. What do they do in the middle of nowhere? They bowl. I didn't even know anything about the Wichita State bowling team being the best bowling team in America. So he taught me a lesson earlier today. Uh, but I'm going to be the one teaching him a lesson next <laughs> Friday, of course. But it is time to talk a little college hoops here. It is a VCU game day, and that's the lead story here on University Drive. Let's go to University Drive. Scores, buzzer beaters, madness. All the college basketball in the state of Virginia. We'll follow your favorite teams all season long. University Drive on AWOD Radio. It's been a lot of firsts this year for VCU. They were 11-0 in the A-10 in conference openers. Until St. Bonaventure came to town and defeated VCU 89-78. to They bounced back every year after a home defeat in conference play, except for this year when GW came to town and won with a James Bishop game winner, buzzer beater, 84-82. Well, then the Rams hit the road and became road warriors with back-to-back road victories last week at George Mason 54-50. A really good game defensively by VCU. And then it was Sean Barstow's 14 points, 12 assists that helped VCU go to Philadelphia and defeat LaSalle 71-65. So now they return here to home, 2-2 two and two in the A-10, looking for their first home win in conference play. And here's what it's going to take for VCU to get the win tonight against St. Louis. Uh, number one, we need consistent scoring down low from the front court. 
Christian Furman, Toby Lawall have been really good at times this season. At times, they've disappeared on the offensive end. So I need the two to combine for double-digit points. Got to have a good game for Max Shulga and Sean Barstow. Of course, Barstow wears 7, Shulga wears 11. I've dubbed the pair 7-11. When they're open all day, 24-7, like the real 7-11, the Rams seem to be unbeatable. Uh, but I don't think they've had a great game at the same time at any point this season. Part of that is because Sean Barristow has only returned for the past six games. And then the third key, it's going to be bench scoring. VCU's been at their best this year when they're getting double digits from somebody off the bench, whether it's Jason Nelson, Fats Phillips, or Joe Bamisil. And I think it's going to be Joe Bam to go ham for the Rams tonight. Look, he's one of his last ten uh, shots from the field. He's a much better shooter than that. I think he's going to start shooting more in the flow of the offense. I think Coach Odom's actually going to run a couple plays for him as soon as he checks in to see if he can get Joe going uh, because when he's our third scorer, uh, the Rams have been really good this year. So if the Rams can do those three things, I think they'll get their first 8-10 home win tonight against St. Louis. But when you look at the standings in the A-10 at 4-0, 12-5 on the year. Top of the A-10 tied with the 4-0 Dayton Flyers is the Richmond Spiders. Coach Mooney doing an incredible job in the transfer portal getting Jordan King who's averaging 18 points per game. Neil Quinn uh, who was on the roster last year making a lot of improvements on the offensive end. Not only is he shooting 56% and scoring the ball well, but you know how they run the Princeton offense. Having a center who can pass is very important. He's up to almost four assists per game in conference play. And, uh, of course, they're 4-0 and coming off. They come from behind win at Duquesne. They traveled to North Carolina to face off against Davidson tomorrow. Now, uh, I heard Michael Phillips talking about this game here. Should be a, a win for the Spiders. But I will say this about the Davidson Wildcats. They're a good basketball team at home. Uh, they've got that that you know smaller type arena there that gets really loud. Of course, it was most famous for when Steph Curry was hitting threes there uh, for the Wildcats. But they've been really good at home this year. Almost beat Dayton in AA10 play at home. Um, beat Fordham on the road. This is a Davidson team that's one in three, but I expect to get back to 500 at some point in conference play. Give me the Spiders to win this game, but I do think it's going to be really close. Let's move over to UVA here on University Drive. Talking all things college basketball in the state of Virginia, and they just won the Commonwealth clash against Virginia Tech 65 to 57 uh, played really well at home that's been the theme of UVA this season can they go on the road and defeat a tough Georgia Tech team well I think it's going to take a third scorer right it's been Reese Beekman it's been Ryan Dunn last game how they defeat the, the Hokies Jordan Miner showed up and came to play how did they uh, beat Louisville earlier this year? Isaac McNeely showed up and came to play. They need that consistent third scorer. I think it's going to be McNeely from the outside, and I've got UVA defeating Georgia Tech Saturday early, or excuse me, late afternoon, 6 p.m. on ACC Network. Let's move over to Blacksburg, home of the Hokies, Virginia Tech. So Virginia Tech 10 and 7 on the season. Mike Young's squad is just 2 and 4 in ACC play. They got that big victory over Clemson. Turns out Clemson's not very good. They're also 2 and 4 in the ACC after uh, you know barely losing a game in out of conference play. After that big win, they went to Miami. 
or excuse me, Miami came to Blacksburg and they lost a close-fought battle by four. Then they went to John Paul Jones Arena and couldn't come up with a win against Virginia. They've got a very difficult task here Saturday, 12 noon. Watch the game on the CW Network or listen to it right here on 910 The Fan as they travel to face off against NC State who is 5-1 in the ACC, second place currently in the ACC behind UNC. Uh, look, Hunter Couture came back for the Hokies, so they've got their full backcourt back, but I just I need more from the frontcourt. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about my Elijah Poteet and his play off the bench. Uh, he, you know, he's a hustle guy, he's a glue guy, but maybe Hokies need him to score a few more points. Uh, or maybe it's Lynn Kidd to be more consistent in ACC play. They're going to need more from the front court or another 30-point explosion from Sean Padula to win at NC State. Let's move over to the Sun Belt here as we're talking all things college basketball in the state of Virginia with the James Madison Dukes. Now, JMU this season started off 14-0. They were in the top 25. Then... Conference play began with a loss at Southern Miss. They bounce back, defeating South Alabama. Then they fall to Appalachian State before defeating UL Monroe, 89-70. So now they're sitting at 4-2 in conference play, third place behind Appalachian State and Troy with a game tomorrow against Marshall. Uh, Marshall this year is also 4-2 in conference play, but 9-10 overall. So they struggled in out-of-conference play, got better in the Sun Belt. It's going to be a tough task for JMU. Over to the Monarchs of ODU, who are struggling this season. Just 1-5 on the year, but they're coming off of a blowout win against Marshall, and that might have been their best offensive performance of the season. They put up 57, yeah, 57 in the second half uh, to end up winning that game by 35. And uh, it was a really good performance from Vishan Alet. He had 27. Now he's averaging 17 points a year, the freshman out of Toronto. But he exploded in that last game. We'll see if he continued. will continue that hot shooting from the outside in their next game on Saturday. And lastly here, I wanted to mention on University Drive is... The Longwood Lancers, Longwood Lancers, who are currently one and four in the Big South. Uh, look, I, I like following Longwood. It's a really good story. I, I love their head coach and his story of the, the way he, you know, had a job on Wall Street, making seven figures, chose to be a college basketball coach because that's where uh, you know he enjoys his life the best. And uh, you know, they've got a decent. They've got a decent amount of talent on the roster this year, while Lynn Naper is their best player, nearly 14 points a game. I just don't know if they have enough scorers to be an NCAA tournament team this season. If you want to chime in, phone lines are open, 833-804-0910. You're listening to AWOD on the fan.